want you to open your Bibles. We're going to get right into the Word. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. I'm going to repeat that again because I want everybody turning in your scriptures. We're a note-taking church. I want you to follow along with me in scripture uh, as we extract truth from the Word of God that's significant for our life. So I'm going to preach my best if you're ready to receive your best. Okay, so if you're ready to receive your best, then I'll preach my best. I'll preach so good, I'll make you want to slap your mama. Okay, but you got to stay with me because I got something from God for you. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. Last week we started this series, I Am Significant. And significance means this. It means of great worth or value. Did you know you're worth something? Turn to your neighbor you've been ignoring and say, you're worth something. <laughs> you're worth something. You're valuable. And more than just something, you have extreme value. So we started that series off last week, and man, it was powerful. If you missed it, uh, you get the, uh, the, the sermon on podcast or on our website. Uh, we have that available for you. We want the message to minister to you. Uh, so you can uh, get the full scope of what God has for you. Today, I want to continue that. So last week, we were in Luke chapter 7. Then the Lord just said, turn the page. Somebody say, turn the page. So I just turned the page. And God revealed another wonderful story that we're going to read today. But I want to start us off with a foundational scripture in the book of Hebrews. And in fact, I feel led to say this because I see a lot of great believers in here. If there's ever a book you want to develop your spiritual maturity in, it's the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews teaches, describes, and depicts the power of the ministry of Jesus Christ like no other book. You have to read and understand that book. So I want to read a scripture for you uh, that's very powerful and will help transform your life. In verse 14 in chapter 4, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly. And some of your Bibles may say touch. So it's able to hold on, something to grasp a hold of, to, to faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. And it says in verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Some of your versions may say boldly approach the throne of grace. And he says, so why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace when in our time of need. So when you have a need, God's ready for you to approach boldly and confidently. I hope somebody came in here with a need today. It could be a small need. It could be a great need. But God came to supply all that you need. And every day we ought to come before the Lord, take our needs, instead of trying to meet them ourselves, take them before God. So I want you to go, before we go into that further, I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read this story, uh, and then I'm going to continue to teach truth from each of these verses. Verse 40 in chapter 8, it says this, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And I love that because they came with expectation. Then a man named Jairus, uh, uh, Jairus uh, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to the house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, that's important to understand, was dying. And Jesus was on his way, and the crowds almost crushed him. So these crowds were pushing. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. We see 12 again. 
but no one could heal her. Some of the other gospels go to the extent of teaching you and showing you how much she did to try to get healed. Then it says, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, everybody say immediately, immediately. the bleeding stopped. He said, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around you and pressing against you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me. I know the power of God, some of your versions may say virtue, has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed because she was hiding herself, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, I love that, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, some of them came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and he said, your daughter is dead. Don't even bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be scared. Just believe. And I'm going to teach a great lesson on that here in a little bit. Then it, it, he said, and she will be raised, uh, she will be healed. When he had arrived at the house, he did not let anyone, I want you to hear this, it's important, don't let anyone come in except for Peter, John, James, and the mother and father. Meanwhile, while all the people were wailing and mourning and whining, Jesus says, stop wailing. And he said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. Then they laughed at him, mocked him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to go out. God, it's going to go on good ground. And God, somebody's going to receive a great word today for their life. Lord, we thank you that we came here to celebrate Mother's Day. But I think we're going to get the nurturing nature of who you are in our life. To establish value of who we are. And we receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I want to start back at, uh, go back to Hebrews. And so when you look at Hebrews and we read that text, Jesus came to fulfill the law. We have the old covenant, which was a shadow of what was to come. Then we have the new covenant through Christ. He became our high priest, which means completed ministry. So Jesus came to make it better. Everybody say better. better. Jesus always makes it better. He came to make it better. He came to make your life better. He came to make living better. He said, I want to give you life and life abundantly. I want to make life better for you. Jesus always makes it better because he started with the foundation of the covenant. And then he said, I'm coming to build on that and complete it. And I'm going to make it better. Where religion would try to create distance, he brought relationship that was touchable, tangible, within reach. That's why he always said throughout his ministry, behold for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within your grasp. Yeah. You can touch God today. And he was trying to teach them. It's not going to be in a synagogue anymore or a temple. The power of God is going to live with you. He came to make it better. He came to pay a price to save that which was lost. And it's powerful because when we're talking about value, let me connect it to your heart. When we're talking about value and worth, I want to show you how incredibly value you, valuable you are. You ever gone to a garage? Who's a garage sale people out there? Come on, my garage people out there. You love going to garage sales. And, man, what happens when you see at a garage sale uh, there's not a sticker on something? It's time to bargain, right? It's, you're like, okay, I'm going to whittle this person down to nothing. And you're like, you're ready. Or you do Craigslist. You ever done Craigslist? And Craigslist, 
The, the, the one thing, I'm going to just teach some young people in here who haven't done Craigslist very much. Never, ever, ever, ever put O-B-O. That is a clear sign of desperation. What that means is, or best offer. So I know at that moment, whatever you wrote means absolutely nothing. Because I am going to lowball you. And I'm going to throw in the lowest price I can because you are in desperate need. And so I'm talking about price. I want you to follow along with me because the price wasn't set. So they, they don't set the price. And speaking of that, it makes me think of this story of my friend from Bible college. His name was Billy Frankie, two first names. And so Billy Frankie was wonderful. He'd always thank God for even the smallest of things. <clears throat> He'd always be like, oh, man, my headache was here. Now it's gone. I just want to praise Jesus real quick. And he'd say it out loud. It wasn't something he did internally. He would always say this, like, oh, I just want to thank God. My shoes are really comfortable today. And he was just that kind of guy. He was, oh, I just want to praise you. You know what? It's nice in this building. It feels so comfortable. He's just that guy. Now you see the personnel. So he's, uh, he was wanting to get more professional, and he was trying to get his act together and trying to get look right, and he wants to be, take care of himself and his schedule and be on point. And so he starts studying. Uh, palm pilots, you know, how many remember palm pilots? So he was like, I want to get a palm pilot so that I can keep track of my schedule. So he starts looking up and he's like, oh, it's too expensive. But he's doing all the research of the newest ones and different brands and all this kind of stuff. So he's looking at all the palm pilots. He's checking out the prices and he re- he's like, you know what? I'll wait. I'll pray about it. Uh, and he said, I'm thankful for my old phone. And he just started praising God for his old phone. So he's doing all that. And then he's like, you know what? I want to trade in my car. This is all a true story. He wants to trade in his car because he's got an old junky car. And he's like, I want to get a new car. I want to sell this one and, and make some money. Well, he couldn't sell it for the price he wanted. And he was looking to buy a new Mercury Cougar. And so he was like, man, I really like that car. I love that car. And he starts researching how much it costs. He's like, oh, my credit's not good enough. I don't have enough in the bank account. Well, a little while later, uh, we go uh, to L.A. for a trip. And we're in L.A., and he's like, hey, man, I want to do something fun. Can we go try to stand in line at the Price is Right? And I, I just want to see if we can make it on the show. So we go stand in line at the Price is Right. We're waiting in line, and we get called to be a part of the audience at the Price is Right. So we go sit in the Price is Right, and guess who gets called up? <laughs> Billy Frankie. And so Billy gets called up, and he goes up to the front. And guess what the first thing he starts to bid on? A Palm Pilot. And he knows the price. And then guess what the second thing Billy bid on? Billy bid on a Mercury Cougar. And Billy didn't just win a couple rounds. Billy won the whole showcase showdown. He won it all because he knew the price. I want you to hear me now. The price was set. See, when the price is set and when it's already been paid for, there cannot be a negotiation. There cannot be a haggling of value because the price has already been paid for. Somebody needs to hear a scripture for the first time that you were bought with a price. And your value before you walked in the store, before you were born, before anything happened in your life, you were paid for. And your value was set before you even knew your own name. Because God said, I came to set the standard. I came to set the value. I came to set the worth in your life. And before you did anything right or you did anything wrong, Jesus said, I already paid the price. There's no negotiating. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's already set. You're significant. You, your price is set. You've been bought with the price. Now go back with me to Luke chapter, uh, chapter 8 and verse 40 in that story. And I want to teach some truths from you, for you and extract truth so that we can grow in our significance and understand where our confidence and our value and our worth come from. Now, at the beginning of this story, we'll talk more about the parents later. But the beginning of this story, a father goes to Jesus and says, my father, or my daughter, my only daughter is dying. I need you to come and heal her. 
And Jesus says, okay, lead the way. Well, along the journey, he gets stopped. There's a huge crowd, and then all of a sudden, there's a woman. Now, let me just pause right there. She was a woman. She was a woman who was unclean. She was a, a woman who should not have been in that crowd. Because the law, religion, that creates distance, religion said, you need to be outside the city. You're not clean to be in here. Culture would try to control her and say, no, no, it's not a woman's place to be around men like this. You can't be over here. And would try to force her out. Let me tell you, when religion tries to distance you and when culture tries to control you, it's relationship that frees you. Because, see, all of a sudden, Jesus is walking, and she starts, strike one, strike two, strike three. She's desperate. She wants to reach Jesus. She doesn't care that she's a woman. She has a need. And, and, and see, I want to I correct some false doctrine in here for a little bit. Just if I can, can I teach for a minute? So what, what happens is in, in, in the body of Christ is we like to take scriptures and turn it into our own truth. And that's dangerous. Because then it demoralizes and diminishes what God is really intending to do. So one scripture that was taken from scripture uh, and, and twisted out of context is there's a scripture that says woman, a woman should not speak to a man in church. Should not speak or should not question with her husband at church. And what they're talking about, if you read the whole passage, is there, when you go to a synagogue, when I take everybody to Israel next year, you're gonna, this side of the synagogue would be all men. This side would be all women. And, and, the, and the, uh, he would pull the scroll out, and the rabbi would stand here, his back to the women, and he'd teach the men. Hey, hey, I want to teach you a good word. And he started teaching all the men and ignore all the women. And so what would happen is the woman who couldn't speak to the rabbi could only speak to her husband. She'd say, hey, what did he say? What's going on over there? I know he's talking about you. Some of you women would be like, he's preaching about you today. You better get your act together. You know, We'd be yelling across and back and forth. He says, be quiet. Don't ask your husband a question later. But, but, but the perversion that's happened is saying women shouldn't speak at all at church. Oh, we'll let them lead worship. You don't dare preach to me. I'm a man. See, Jesus didn't pay a greater price for a man and a lesser price for a woman. Jesus paid one price for all. And a woman can preach just as good as any man can preach. Come on, somebody, a good woman in here said amen. <clears throat> that you know what? We're not here to say you're lesser, you're greater. You're, oh, oh, because I'm a man, because of my sexual orientation. Oh, because of my gender. Oh, because of my race. Oh, because of my color. Look, I'm telling you, Jesus came to break those walls down. He said, now you're all equal in my eyes. And I want you to see that because there's power in that. But man, culture tries to control and say we're better. When God says, no, you're all equal. And you've all fallen short of the glory. Another scripture tries to talk about how it twists uh, a woman's position in the church that she shouldn't even speak to a man. But it's really when it comes, it means accountability. Yes, a woman shouldn't be over a man for accountability. It should be a man and a man. It shouldn't be the other way around either. It's unhealthy. But we've turned it and we twisted it because we want to control and create distance. I'm up here, you're down there. The second thing that happens to her that I want you to see, because I'm going to continue to speak value. Somebody receiving something today? I want you to speak, hear value in this, because what happens next is she's identified with her issue. You ever been there before? You ever gone through something? And somebody says, oh, you're that guy. Oh, you have, oh, I remember you. Oh, I know what you, yeah, 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 yeah. We got all these inmates who come to the church, and a lot of people like to say, oh, you're an ex-con. No, no, no. They're a child of God. Oh, AA will teach you, oh, uh, my, hi, my name is Landon. And you say, 
Oh, come on. Y'all have never heard that? Hi, my name is Landon. Y'all are doing pretty good. And then I say, I, I, I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, alcoholic. I, I've got it. We, we describe our identity. We attach it to us. That our issue starts being identified as who we are. Oh, you're from that neighborhood. Oh, you're with that. Oh, oh I know your family. I know where you come from. No, no, no. See, you can't allow your issue. You can't allow your circumstance. You can't allow your faults and your failures to breed identity over you. It's only him who gives you your true identity. But a lot of people, we try to go ahead and say, man, oh, no, 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 no. They want to brand us. She didn't even have a name. She remained nameless, thinking, I have no value. That's why I love when Jesus said, come here, daughter. Shut up, all the rest of you. Come here, daughter, and spoke value over her. Because she wasn't going to be uh, no longer identified with her issue. You know, this is today, I'm, I'm going a little bit further. It's kind of like wading in the water a little bit. And the further you go, the deeper you get. So if you hear something you like, say, just go ahead a little further, preacher. Because I'm going to go a little bit further on this. And I want to teach a little bit more. Because what happens is we have issues. <laughs> we have issues. All the people who have at least admitted it said amen. But we have issues and we got problems and we got hangups and all that stuff. But I think some of us maybe have a issue right now. And you've had over the last 10 years, you've had different issues. But maybe you haven't had the same issue. See, when you have the same issue for that long, I know what it does. It's funny that the Lord led me to this passage I've been battling trying to have kids for 12 years now. She's been battling this disease for 12 years. Now, on, next week on Sunday, I'll, uh, we'll celebrate our 13th anniversary. And so, yeah, 13th anniversary, which I, I'm all excited about. But 12 years of trying to have kids. But let me just, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to teach you for a little bit. Because what happens is when you have a problem for a while, you begin to think about it. When you have the same issue for a little longer than you think you should, you, you begin to dwell on it. You begin to fixate on it. All of a sudden, it becomes big to you. It becomes not just your identity. It becomes all to you. And you lose sight of God. And you lose sight of your value. And now the only thing big in your life is your problem. Now the danger with that is this. You begin, because it's the only thing you think about and talk about, you begin to praise your problem. And as you praise your problem, what praise does is it magnifies your issue. So now when you explain it to other people, you ever ran and said, he's at it again. And they're just going off and you're like, oh, it's the same thing. And they, you hear, you hear them and it's just this little, just this, but they've made it huge. No wonder you can't see God through your problem. No wonder you can't see your solution through your problem. No wonder you can't see how a way out of your darkness is because it has become magnified in your life. And you don't know how to deal with the pain. You don't know how to deal with it. But I love how this wonderful woman decides to say, oh, no, I'm going to do something crazy. Because it's amazing when options run out how radical you become. When you don't have. You don't have anything to do. <laughs> you don't have anywhere to turn. Hey, right there, when options run out. Give me another mic. Uh, but you, it's amazing when, ish, when, when, when options run out, what happens is, is we have nowhere else to turn but God. And it's a perfect time for Jesus. I think sometimes God does that for us. That he's like, oh, no. 
No, 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 that's not going to work either. No, no, that physician isn't going to do it either. No, no, that doctor ain't going to heal it either. No, no, not enough money. No, 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 money ain't going to fix it. No, no, family ain't going to fix it. No, no, therapist ain't going to fix it. No, 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 a a new job, a new city, a new whatever you want to chalk it up to ain't going to fix it. You're going to have to turn to me. And it's only through our radical faith. I wonder if somebody in here has radical faith, like like crazy faith. You know, because I start to think about uh, our church, and I start to think about the body of Christ, and I start, start to think about Sunday mornings, how we all show up, but yet only some of us touch Jesus. Because somehow we decide to be like the crowd at one point in our faith where we show up to church around Jesus, but we didn't come to touch Jesus because we want to take a selfie at church and check in. Oh, I was there for Mother's Day. I wonder if I'll get 100, 200 likes. Got a picture with mom. Click. And we have this little thing that we just came to check in. But I wonder if somebody like these people came expecting. What is he going to do today? What is God going to do today? And maybe you don't need God to do something in your life. But when you begin to praise what God is doing in someone else's life, it's amazing how he starts doing something in your life. And You can sit there and say, oh, life is good. I'm okay. We talked about that last week. Remember, I'm fine. I'm okay, preacher, you're doing a good job. You reach those needy people. And we, we, we stiff arm the experience of the King of Kings because we haven't allowed ourselves to be vulnerable enough to just touch him, to be radical in our faith, to push through that crowd and to say, man, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how, what I got to do. I, I'm going to fight. I'm going to push through. She was hiding. She was covered, and they couldn't even see who she was. She had broken religion. She had broken culture, and now she's breaking through the crowd, and she reaches out, and this is what she touches. She touches Jesus' whole, has one of these on it. She just touches the fringe, the end of that garment, and when she touches it, all of a sudden, he goes, who touched me? Who touched me? Because it was everybody was all around him, but somebody, the Bible says, pulled virtue from him. Somebody pulled power from him. Somebody said, under my greatest affliction is where my greatest need comes from. And it wasn't because she just showed up and she was another good church-going, Bible-believing Christian who just wants to come in and all praise Jesus. Love God. Oh, I, you can let those people be loud up front. I, I, I don't say anything out loud in church. Got quiet. I, I, I'm just saying, we come in, and, and, and the reason people get a little wild and radical in their faith is because they know the grace. They know the price. They know what was paid so that they could be free, so that they could be valued, so that they could be worthy. Come on, somebody, begin to, come on, somebody, begin to get excited and allow God to say, you know, I didn't just come here to play church. I came here to be the church, and I'm going to get fired up, and we're not here. Let me just tell you. I'm, I'm going to go there. Oh, man, I'm really preaching. I'm going to have to. I, I have so much more. I'm going to have to save this for 5 o'clock. But let me just tell you, I, I'm not here to build a quiet church. A quiet church is a dying church. No, no, somebody hear me. A quiet church is a dying church. A quiet believer is a dying believer. You will never survive in this world as long as the enemy can shut you up because you don't feel confident enough. Look, it doesn't matter. Are you trying to look cool while you yell? My mama would always come to my sports games, and she grew up in their uh, like denomination. She wasn't allowed to play sports, so she didn't know anything. And I'd be playing basketball. She's like, "You make that touchdown, son!" And I'm like, I'm like "Shut up, mom!" <laughs> and I'd be running, 
and I'm trying to play basketball, trying to play football, and she would, she had no clue how to cheer. No clue, not a single clue. She was terrible. Other kids on other teams at high school used to make fun of my, that's how I got in fights, okay? And nobody's gonna talk about my mama. But she didn't even know how to cheer. Let me just tell you, don't, don't, what, what was happening in her is she was so passionate about her son and something she loved and she was connected to. There's something that's going to stir up in some of you someday that you're going to get so excited and you're going to get connected and this disconnect of doubt and discouragement is going to start being pushed aside and you're going to stop trying to feel your way into an action and you're going to act your way into a feeling with a belief system that you say, I'm going to change the way I leave. I'm going to change the way I act. And let me just tell you, with all love in my heart, if you don't want to be a part of this church, it's okay. We need your seat because God wants to do something new. God wants to do something fresh. And every service is already full. i got to add another service. And if I have to preach five or six times, I want to preach in front of people who get crazy for Jesus and radical for God. Say, all right, let's do this together because that's what we're called to do. And that's not a statement of judgment or, hey, oh, oh, there you go. We don't have to come back, mama. I gave you one shot. I came today. I got to preach crazy because, you know what, some of you I don't see very often. I'm just kidding. I love you. I won't look around. But I, I, you have this, man. You got to get radical in your faith. And you know what's crazy is in the natural, if you get injured, and I have injuries. I blew off a finger. I got had a tracheotomy, all this stuff. I got scars all over, man. What happens in the natural is if you get injured in a moment, you know how long it took to recover from over a year to recover physically, several years emotionally. I, I didn't know how. Intellectually, I even had to learn. I was left-handed with my right. I had to learn how to write with my right hand. It was it was traumatic. I was seven years old. I got made fun of at school for my scars and disfigurement at the age of seven. It wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. It was, it was traumatic. And it took years to recover. But what happens in the supernatural is the opposite. What something has tried to afflict you, and something has tried to push you, and something has tried to cause pain in your life, God can heal immediately. It doesn't take God a lot of time to do what God wants to do. When God says, you need a new marriage, come here. You need a new life, come here. You need to be free from that addiction and pain, come here. You need to be free from that disease, come here. You, he's, he's calling somebody today to say, you know what? You don't have to sit there and think, oh, it's over time. And a lot of us live our life with this phrase, well, if God wills it. Well, if it's the Lord's will, we'll just suffer for Jesus. What? You are a child of God. And my number one goal is to help at least share some of my passion with you, if not some of the revelation and inspiration with you, to where you could take an and have application in your life, where you could say, okay, here, all right, well, then today this is what's going to change for me, is I am going to allow God to move in my life like never before. Amen. And I'm going to get radical, and he's going to change immediately. He's going to change it up, switch it up. Somebody say, switch it up. I'll close here in a minute when I feel the Holy Spirit telling me to, but I'm going to keep going. <clears throat> okay. So what happens next, and, and there's so much. I, what happens next, I'll, I'll go to the parents. I'll, I'll switch, to the, switch gears. 
I'll save the other parts for tonight. But I, I, uh, the parents, so the parents are in this, and I, I see a lot of parents out there. The father goes to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter's dying. Come and heal her. Now, I want you to imagine this. His daughter's dying. Jesus is being crushed by crowds. And he's like, come on, my daughter's dying. And Jesus stops. Who touched me? And you could hear the, the rush in Peter's voice. Hey, nobody touched you. Come on, we've got to keep going. Hey, nobody touched you. Come on, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. we got to get to his house. But I, I know, is there a mama bear out there? How many mama bears out there? I got a, I got a mama bear, a smother mother, whatever you want to call them. My mom loves me, man. And when I got injured, I went to the hospital with my finger. She took all the pieces that were tear, and she put it in a little ice baggie, brought it there. And they were like, oh, we're just going to cut it down to the bottom knuckle. And she was like, oh, no, my baby came in here with 10 fingers. He's leaving with 10 fingers. And mom, my, there was no such thing as just wait in the waiting room. The doctor will be with you. She was like, oh, no. And she would like kick doors and drag me through. Man, she would do whatever it took. And, and I can imagine what this father is going through. And the mother's pacing, like, okay, where are they? Must be here soon. They gotta be here quick. And they're wondering, okay, God, when are you gonna show up? I need you to save my daughter from this pain. And and, and the father just patiently waits. Then finally, the word comes, and the daughter's dead. And I don't know about you. I haven't even seen my daughter yet. I will when she's born. We've already named her. We've given her a name, Adelaide. <clears throat> and I already love her. I couldn't imagine if somebody said, hey, your daughter's gone. How broken I would feel. And Jesus says something very profound. And you could skip over it if you're not careful. He says, don't fear. Just believe. And that's powerful because I'm going to teach some leadership lessons right now in parenting. This isn't a parenting class. Take a deep breath. Everybody's a good parent, okay? Uh, but what happens is he teaches them a lesson. He says, you can't live by fear. You've got to live by faith. Because when you live by fear and, and you try to, your intent is, I don't want my daughter to hurt. I don't want my kids to go through this. I, I don't want it. Oh, I'm going to make sure. Yeah, I've heard of the helicopter, Mom. That was the old term. The new term I heard, I was just taught this week by a wonderful new friend, and she taught me that it's called the lawnmower parents. Ever heard that? They mow everything down in front of their kid so their kid doesn't get touched. Dangerous. I'm going to tell you right now, Dangerous. Because what they're doing is they're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it all. And what we're doing is by fear, we're led by fear because we don't want anything to happen. Oh, I don't want anybody to touch my kid. I don't want anybody to watch my kid who doesn't believe my kid, love my kid, take care of my kid like I would take care of. And we move and we clear the path because of fear. But what you do, what you're not understanding is you're sowing fear. You think you're protecting, but what you're really doing is reproducing fear in your child. So now your child and those who lead, you end up reproducing fear in their life and they live the rest of their life having to battle the spirit, because it's a spirit of fear. And that's why he says, don't, don't do that. Don't live by fear, live by faith. Because the other point of this, I have to go a little bit further. Go a little bit further, preacher. So I had this moment where I, I see this image and I'm seeing how some of us try to 
become the protector of pain. But when you do that, when you say, I'm going to protect them from pain, you also prevent them from his power. Because when you don't allow them to have their own story with Jesus, and you become Jesus for them, they don't need Jesus. They just need you in their life. And then we end up with a generation when the parents pass, they have no idea what to do with their life because mom and dad were God for me. I know it's good. And I got I, 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 you can receive it. And I know it's saturating right now for a lot of people. I know it is. I really do. But I want you to hear me. You can't become, you got to let go. They've got to experience Jesus on their own. When I, uh, my parents, went, when I was nine, I went to uh, play outside in the snow. I had an accident with my throat, knocked a piece of my trachea out. Some of you were like, where were your parents your whole life? You know? um, but I, had, I went out to play because my parents let me play. They didn't go play with me. I'm just going to leave that there. So I, I, I go out to you know, have fun in the snow. I hit the thing. I go to the hospital. <clears throat> and what happens is... I experienced Jesus. My father prays over me, and I watched my throat literally heal before my eyes, and the piece of my trachea that was knocked out was no longer missing because I got to experience through pain because God will use your pain for your promise. But God uses that pain to also demonstrate his power. And you got to have a testimony. And the people you lead, your spouse, your children, your family, your future, your business, everybody you lead, you got to allow them to experience pain so they could call upon his power. Man, I got to, okay, 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 okay. I promise, I'm the only thing standing, some of y'all are going to grow resentment because I'm the only thing standing between you and brunch. And so you're like, hey, I love you, but man, I'm hungry. Uh, I, I want to share just one, oh, oh, like if I can, can I go just a little, can I just finish? Uh, so then we see him raise her, or before that, we see uh, Jesus show up. And what does he do? It's really interesting. Jesus does something really cool. Jesus shows up and everybody's crying and whining. And Jesus says, shut up. And I love that. Stop crying. Shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say that. But <laughs> you, shut your mouth. He tells them to be quiet. And why? Because they were doubtful. Because as soon as he said she's not dead, she's just asleep, they begin to mock him and laugh at him. And Jesus says this, he goes, he, he turns back at him. Well, imagine this is outside. He says, you can't come in. You, none of you stay out here. Okay. Only people. Now I've taught on this before. I've taught on the top five closest people in your life will determine the destiny in your life. It'll also reflect the ceiling of your life. If you have top five closest people that believe in you, have hope in you, love you, support you, want the best for you. I'm telling you, you're about to raise the roof. And so what happens is Jesus says, you can't come in here. But remember who he says you can come in? Jesus taught this principle a long time ago. He says, Peter, count them, James, John, mom, and dad. And he establishes the principle of the top closest people in your life will determine the ceiling of doubt or the roof that's lifted of faith. Because you got to allow yourself to be surrounded. The closest negativity will travel five miles. It's already proven. Positivity, belief, will travel five feet. Who's the closest people to you? 
Because those are the people who are going to shelter and say, oh, man, I believe in you. No, no, I'm praying for you. No, no, I've got, I, I believe in your miracle, too. I believe in your healing, too. You can't surround yourself with people of doubt. And, man, I could share story after story of how doubt and discouragement will drain a room. I could feel it as a pastor when I could feel the church coming in and saying, man, no, no, I need something. And you're drawing something from God. I can feel the pull. And I can also feel when it's not. And somebody's got to understand that when you surround yourself with people of great belief and faith, your faith is going to elevate. It's going to grow. And the ceiling of miracle, there's a miracle in this room. There's a miracle. There's a healing in this room. Because you are surrounded by people who have faith, who believe. Get the skeptic out of here. Get the disbelief gone. Get the discouragement and the doubt out of here. We don't have time for it. You got to let it go, and it's a choice. Some of you who think your personality, because uh, you know I'm this and I'm that, and my family grew up like that, so we're just naturally negative people. No, 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 no. Doubt is a choice. Negativity is a choice. So is it faith. And you got to live by faith. You got to live by faith. The last thing that I'm going to share with you today, and I need to close. I can't do it. But I'm going to. I need to, uh, one thing. I'm going to share with you, or the last thing, is this. Then he says to the little girl, he says, get up. And the spirit of God, her spirit returned to her. She stands up. She's totally healed. He's holding her. And he says, man, can you imagine the picture? It's just the five of them, plus Jesus and the little girl. And there's just a, there's tears. Everybody's crying, but excited. They want to cheer. They want to laugh. And they're looking at their baby girl. And Jesus has got her, his arm around her. And he's like, here you go, mom and dad. Hands her back to the parents. And then he says something interesting. He says, now feed her. And I thought that was interesting. Because I've seen Jesus raise people from the dead, and I never heard him say that. And I asked the Holy Spirit why. I said, why did he tell? Why did he say that? Why did he ask? Tony, why did he say that, man? Why did he say feed her? Is it exhausting, dying? I I, I was literally, I'm like, I, I had no idea. And the Holy Spirit says, because you don't feed dead things, you only feed the living. And man, I'm a, that's going to speak to somebody's heart here in a moment when I connect the dot for you. But what happens is we come before the Lord in the house of God and we say, Lord, I give you my life. Oh, yeah, God, I, I'm dying to the old me. And Lord, you're going to create a new me. And the same resurrection power that's alive in you is now alive in me. I've got a new hope. I got a new life. I got a new desire. I got a new habit. I got a new, I got new everything. I got a clean heart, oh God. I got a new mind. But yet where the frustration comes in is we go back to the old us and we try to feed the old habits and we try to feed the old life and we try to feed the old things we used to do. And God's saying, you're going to just get frustrated because that ain't coming back. What's dead is dead. you got to feed the living. And unless I brought it back to life, it's meant to stay gone. And somebody's going to let yourself finally walk away from the dead things in life and start feeding the Zoe life that God gave you, the purposeful, passion-filled life as God intended. And the frustration will cease because you'll actually see results from when you start feeding the living. I want to pray with you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I'll have to finish at five. Holy Spirit, there's a new anointing in this place. Holy Spirit, there's a new level of breakthrough.
I feel like the water levels are rising in this house of faith, of belief. Lord, of exponential growth and increase. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you, God, that it's coming from understanding who you are and who we are in you. And Lord, we thank you that our value isn't questionable anymore. The price has been paid. And so we know our value. And somebody right now, just begin to speak it over your life. I know, I know how valuable I am. I know how worthy I am. Lord, I receive worthiness. Lord, I receive righteousness. Lord, I receive my healing. I'm not going to live in discouragement and doubt anymore. Come on, there's somebody right now. I feel three people right now that are battling doubt in their mind. Let me tell you, doubt is from the enemy. And we're going to deal with it right now. Lord, I speak faith. And I speak hope. And Lord, we destroy the choice of doubt. Lord, and we speak faith over somebody right now. And I just want you to begin to say, Lord, I choose faith. If that's you, if you're one of those three, I want you to begin to say, Lord, I choose faith. I choose faith. I choose faith over fear. I choose faith over doubt. I'm going to believe, Lord, and I'm going to receive all that you have for me. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, that even through our pain and our circumstance and our issue, we will not let it become our identity. Lord, our identity is found in you, not what we've suffered through. And Lord, we thank you, God, Lord, that you are establishing our identity in us. God, you're affirming our identity in us. And Lord, we thank you that simply the pains of yesterday are just that gone and yesterday. But the promise of tomorrow still stands because, God, you spoke it over us. And we're not going to live in our old addiction. And you may have come in here today feeling totally disconnected, but he wants to be in reach for you. He wants to be able to touch you and call you son and daughter. He wants to be able to speak value over you. He wants to show you how great you are. And all you need to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if that's you, with no one looking around, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. We're going to pray for you. Thank you for the hands going up in this sanctuary. Thank you for the hands going up in this house and online. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God, for every hand that's raised and heart that's open. Keep your hand raised. I'm going to pray with you. For every hand that's raised and every believer in here, you're not going to pray this prayer alone. We're going to all pray it together. I want you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I receive you now as my Lord, as my Savior, as my Heavenly Father. I'm forever yours, and I am saved. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for his church.